Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. Today's guest is Michael Zapersky. Michael is the co-founder of ConsultingSuccess.com, which provides training, guidance, and mentoring to those looking to launch and scale their own consulting businesses. Through their support, Consulting Success has helped thousands of consulting entrepreneurs to grow their businesses, some by six and seven figures, and Michael shares a number of these secrets in today's episode. Prior to launching Consulting Success, Michael founded, grew, and sold a number of consulting businesses, learning firsthand what works and what doesn't. This led him to launch Consulting Success, which was originally just a blog to share his own experiences before the demand for his insights and advice led him to turn it into a business. Michael has also written a number of books on how to grow a successful consulting business, including the bestseller, The Elite Consulting Mind, and his most recent book, Consulting Success, The Proven Guide to Start, Run and Grow a Successful Consulting Business. Michael was a great guest, and we discuss some really interesting topics in today's conversation, including how Michael successfully grew his consulting firm's Japanese office from a standing start, and his advice to others looking to expand their firm internationally. The biggest barriers that stop people scaling their consulting businesses, 
and how to overcome them. Michael's advice to those of you thinking about launching your own consulting business and the key questions that you should consider before you do and why it is critical to get out from behind your laptop when you're growing your consulting business and the common mistakes that many people make in doing this. I really enjoyed this conversation and it was great to get Michael's perspective from both his experience of running and growing his own consulting businesses, as well as his insights from having coached thousands of consultants to achieve their own success. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Michael Zapersky. Hi there, Michael. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. And it's great to have you on the show. And it's I'm really looking forward to this conversation for a number of reasons. And my guests today have ranged from people who are running consulting firms to people who have sold consulting firms and also people who can help consultants with specific skill sets or areas that they're looking to improve to either climb within their own firm or, or grow their own. And it's great to have you on the show because you have done both. You've built consulting firms, you've sold consulting firms, and you now run a very successful business teaching and training consultants on how they can take their own business to the next level. So really looking forward to diving into this with you. I think to kick us off, it'd be great for those who maybe don't know you so well to get some background on you, your career to date, and your business consulting success. Sure, my pleasure. I've been building consulting businesses for the last 18 years, and that's taken me from my home base in North America to working with clients all around the world. Uh, I also started an office for one of our consulting companies in Japan and lived there for several years building that business, working with large organizations like Panasonic, Dow Jones, Sumitomo, Omron, and a whole bunch of other billion-dollar players in that market. And then returned back to North America where I started another consulting business. But about 10 years ago now, I began to share my experiences of you know the, the positives, but also the, the negatives of learning experiences that I had of, of running these different consulting businesses through a blog. And that's really what Consulting Success became, uh, a place to, to share stories from the trenches, what was working and what is working, as well as what isn't working, and my observations on building a successful consulting business. And so now, a decade later, uh, we've had thousands of consultants go through our programs. We have tens of thousands of people who read our, our weekly consulting newsletter. And I've had the real honor and pleasure of guiding and coaching and supporting hundreds of consultants personally to help them to add an additional six and even seven figures to their annual revenues. Wow. And we're going to dive into to some of the areas that you have helped people do that with because that sounds like phenomenal results and I'm sure many of my listeners will want to know how they can do that for either themselves or their firms. I want to just touch on that point you made there about opening the office in Japan because I know a number of firms who that international expansion is something that is on their agenda or they're trying to do some more successfully than others. And and cons the consistent theme is that it's a real challenge. You're going to a new market where, okay, you may in your home market be well known, have a good reputation, but you're going to a completely different market. It'd be great to actually dig into that and understand the steps you took to build and grow that Japanese practice to the point where, like you say, you were able to work with huge household names out there. Yeah, I think in the 
the biggest thing that I would offer of real importance when entering a new market is a genuine interest in the culture, the people, and the language. I think far too often people look at opportunities as transactions and they then end up treating the relationships or the conversations they have with people as transactional. You know, they're looking to gain advantage. They're looking to, to find um, how they can get the outcome that they, that they desire, but they're not putting enough real energy and effort and focus on you know, just really creating, but then also nurturing and strengthening relationships. Uh, in a market like Japan, especially, and this is true for, for many markets around the world, but you know, speaking of Japan as the example here, it's all about relationships. I mean, we actually called our company at, at that time, Kanke Culture. Kanke is the Japanese word for relationship. So essentially, we were calling our company Relationship Culture because we believe so heavily in relationships. And my own experience in building that business over there was that relationships drove everything. We weren't running advertising campaigns. We weren't placing, you know, anything on social media. Like these were different times, right? This is before all that was, was even present. And so what it really came down to was strategic networking, but not for the, the purpose of just trying to meet someone and win business right away, because that doesn't happen in those mm. markets. It doesn't happen in most markets. But for me, you know, while many foreigners would be spending their evenings going to like the local foreign pub and drinking and talking in English about their experiences in Japan and all that kind of stuff, you would find me in a little hole in the wall izakaya, which is like a little drinking hole, you know, with food and so forth, surrounded by Japanese businessmen and women. Often the rooms were smoke filled, even though I don't smoke and don't like smoke, but it was, that's where you build relationships. That's where you get to know people and they start to trust you. And once that happens, then you are introduced and, and connected to people who otherwise you never would be able to reach. And that was for me the case. You know, when we got business with Panasonic or we got business with Omron or we got business with the Financial Times of Japan, I mean, all these things came specifically from relationships and introductions and referrals and, you know, putting in that type of consistent work. And you mentioned something there that really hit me, and I, I, I'd be interested to understand how you did this, because you mentioned there around relationships, and I agree, especially in, in our market, it's all about relationships. It's, it's not like uh, an Amazon where you, you go and buy a shopping cart. You want to understand the people you're working with, and you want to make sure that they're right for your business, and I'm massively with you there. You mentioned around strategically building relationships, because I think one of the challenges, and I know I've had this in the past, is you go, right, I'm going to build relationships, so I'm going to go and meet as many people as you can and build relationships with them. But actually, that can sometimes lead to you having drinks and dinners with people who maybe you get on with because you both have the same hobbies. But if you dug down, there isn't really a business benefit. Although, you're, to your point, someone might have heard, oh, I've got to just build relationships and good things will happen. So they do it. But your point there around strategic relationships, how did you set out initially to, or how did you, in your mind, check that you were building strategic relationships and not building, I guess, what you might call a, just a friendship or a working friendship? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, the first thing that I did, I was in Toronto and I was going to be going to Osaka in Japan. And what I did, I mean, our that business, that consultancy that we had at that time, Kanke Culture, was focused on branding and communications you know, design and marketing. And so 
what we did was I sent emails to you know, 17 or 20 or, or some odd number of graphic design, design houses in Osaka because I knew I was going to be going there. And I wrote in English because at that time my Japanese was not very good. I couldn't, couldn't write Japanese at that time very well. And I sent out a whole bunch of emails to people who said, hey, I'm coming to, to Osaka. I would, this is what I do. Uh, I would love to meet with you. And I had a couple of people who responded back. And one of those became, you know, really a, a first client, a first supporter, a first, you know, referral source. And that then went, created a whole bunch of other opportunities. But the strategic part of that was just looking at who would be in a good position to, first of all, provide market intelligence to get me up to speed very quickly on, on what was happening in the market and where the opportunities are and how things are done. But also there was alignment because they're, you know, this was the owner of a, his name is Shinosuke, the owner of a, of a very well-known Japanese design firm. And so obviously he knew people, he does great work, right? He's well-known and I could foresee teaming up with him and, and other people like him to add services. And, and that was one of the things that we initially did was we were brought in to work with large uh, Japanese organizations and to really provide the international perspective, to help with the international branding, to help with the international kind of design and positioning of products and services. So that was really the strategic part about it. And I think that for everyone, it's really important that we look at everything that we do in business and get very clear on, you know, where are the efficiencies, where are the inefficiencies, you know, where are we spending our time and, and what part of our daily activities is providing us with the greatest impact and then being ruthless about removing things that really aren't adding value and focusing mm. in more and more of our time on the things that are. So, you know, yes, of course, I went out and met people who I would never do business with, who were just friends, but that's life. Like that's, you know, that's just to enjoyment and, and to, 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 you know, be part of that kind of thing. Also, in my case, it was learning about language and culture. So it's important to do those things because you don't want to just be only doing business and not have time for, for anything outside of that. I don't think that's, that's the purpose of, of creating wealth and creating a successful business, but you have, you can't let that drown out the, the real focus of, of growing your business and doing the things that are going to really help you get the, uh, the outcome that you want in the shortest time possible. Yeah. And I really, I'll come back to that point because I, when I was phrasing it to your, I exactly agree with you that you, you need to make time for friends and for social, your social life, or your personal life as well. It was, it was more of the calling something business when it's not, which is I think what you're, you were talking about, about the inefficiencies and actually you need to, you need to know when something's no longer business and then decide whether you've got time for it now or not. The point you highlight there, and I just want to make sure my understanding's right about it, is the companies you messaged initially, from what you said, it sounds like they were people who were in different but complementary industries that worked with the clients you wanted to work with. So you mentioned there around you know, yours was a branding and marketing consultancy. So you approach graphic designers who you are more like, and tell me if this is incorrect, you're more likely to partner with to a client than you are to directly do work. Was that a deliberate correct approach? Yeah, very much so. You know, so as an example, take Panasonic. If I was to try and send an email to you know, the CEO of Panasonic or you know, a, a managing director of one of the business units from North America without any introduction, I would receive absolutely 100% zero response. It's not going to go anywhere. But by connecting with 
people who have connections to those organizations, that's what created those opportunities. So in our case, like these, you know, they, you could look at the people that I reached out to actually as competitors, but the reality is that we would never compete with them because we were never going to offer branding and design and positioning and, you know, communication strategy to Japanese companies for the Japanese market, because there's mm. too many nuances. We don't know that market, that, that was not our expertise. Our expertise was to help companies, and this is our this was our our focus and the purpose of me going to Japan was to help companies in Japan who wanted to enter English speaking markets and to do that more effectively. And those nuances, you know, we understand those were nuances that we could really add value. And so that was the kind of strategic positioning component of it. And that feels actually like quite a key point as well, in that you took time to understand what your USP would be in entering that market. Because I, I've seen firms whose plan seems to be, I'll take what I do in country A and just do it in country B because there's more people there. And I think to your point, it sounds like you took an approach of understanding what that unique value you could bring from Canada to Japan was and actually entering the market with that. Is that is that right? Yeah, and, and that can be applied beyond what we're just talking about. I mean, I think it's a, a very big mistake that a lot of consultants make where they focus too much on what they're doing, what they're currently offering, and not enough on what the market and client uh, actually wants. And so, yes, it does take a little bit more work. It does take a little bit more, you know, thinking and in some time, some cases, research. But you really want to understand as quickly as you can what it is that people want and then figure out how to adjust and alter and tailor your offering so that you really allow people to to buy. I mean, people like to buy. They don't like to be sold to. So it's really important that you get clear on not just what you want to offer the marketplace, but what the actual marketplace wants to buy. And I think I think that's a a really important point like you highlight. How do you advise people do that? Is it as simple as actually going to potential clients and saying, what help do you want or what approach do you tend to take there? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's going to depend on who we're talking about here, but let's just look at you know the, the listeners here. So as, as a consultant, one of the best things that you can do is simply reach out to ideal clients and ask them questions. And you can do this in many different ways. You can do this structured as an interview you know, you can structure it as wanting to write an article or to feature them. And so that they're more likely to to say yes, if you don't have any connection with them. But if you show a real interest, I mean, if you reach out to someone who uh, maybe you're brand new in a market, and you just say, listen, I'm brand new in this market, but I have a real passion, a real interest for it. I'd, I respect what you've accomplished. I'd love to have a few minutes of your time to understand your perspective on this market. You know, you'll have a percentage of people who will say yes to that. So going to ideal clients is certainly one very powerful approach that will get you directly in front of the ultimate buyer and hearing what they have to say by asking them great questions is very effective. Another Mm -hmm. step that people can take is to identify industry influencers. And these can be other speakers, other consultants, other authors. They can be heads of industry associations. So they're not going to be your ideal client, but they're you know, they're connected to the industry that you want to serve. And by asking them questions, you can also understand what's working for them, what doesn't work for them, you know, what their experiences are. And in many cases also then end up receiving introductions and referrals to people who could benefit from your service once you've had the opportunity to really hone in on on what that is. I'm making notes as well, because some great advice in there of different routes. And 
a theme throughout all of this and this, what you were talking about with Japan is, I think it comes back to what you were saying about people like to buy, not be sold to, is these all feel like ways that you don't go in selling, but you go in finding about out about problems. And if there's a solution, then you have a conversation off the back of that. And it's almost that reverse selling, if you like. Yeah, I mean, as consultants, we're not, we're not selling a one pound box of, of tissue paper. We're not selling even a $500 pair of speakers or, or headphones, right? We're selling solutions to, to complex problems that in many cases are tens of thousands of pounds or hundreds of thousands of pounds or millions of dollars. And so decisions are not made just instantly. You can't just snap your fingers and have someone buy because you have a great value proposition. It doesn't work mm. like that, right? You have to really understand what they want, that you have to go through a process to demonstrate that you not only understand their situation, but that they feel comfortable and confident that you can actually get them to the, you know, to their destination and do it in a way that aligns with what's important to them. Yeah, definitely. And I want to turn us on to another area that I think a lot of particularly consultants who are looking to start their own businesses have challenges with. And we've talked a number about a number of areas there around entering new markets um, and actually going in how to have a, that soft sales conversation. And we'll, we'll definitely come back to some of that. I think I said um, before we got on air, I like to jump around. So ho- hopefully you don't mind sticking with me on that. This question, and it's one that I must say, since doing this podcast, I get a number of people approaching me just to ask about my career journey and how i went out and became an independent consultant. And like you said, you obviously get a lot of people and have built your business out of people coming to you with similar questions. And one that I, I'm always interested by is the, I guess I'd call it mindset, because you get a range of questions, and I'm sure you've had these, that boil down to, I can't do X because of Y. And that's sort of, it's simple. That's the equation, it's the simplest form. And I know this is something you've written a lot about. I know you've got an Amazon bestseller, Elite Consulting Mindset. And I thought, given that, this is obviously an area that you do a lot in, you know a lot about. It'd be great to actually get your take on what are those key mindset challenges that your clients come to you with that are holding them back from, let's say, going out on their own and actually the advice you give to them to help them overcome it. Yeah, so I mean, I think this transcends just the people that reach out to us. I think this really impacts anyone who's considering applying their expertise so the first thing that I feel would be really important for someone to consider is that running a consulting business and being a consultant are two very different things. You can have expertise and know how to consult, but that doesn't mean that if you go off and do that on your own, that you're going to have a successful consulting business, right? That being said, there's some very big advantages to, I mean, there's advantages to both of these, right? So the important thing for someone is first to figure out and to decide which model, which path do you want. One will provide you with potentially a lot more freedom, much greater wealth, a much greater opportunity to manage your own time and to travel the world and, and so forth. The other, you know, provides you without having to worry about where your clients are going to come from. You just kind of get placed, you know, into an opportunity and you do what you're great at. So first of all, being very clear on that, I think is, is important because that is a, a big mindset. There's a lot of little components to what I just shared, but a lot of people I think who I've observed struggle as consultants are those who believe that just because they have expertise that, they're, you know, that they will have a thriving business. And 
that almost always is not the case. You know, we have a lot of consultants that reach out to us who have left the corporate world. They're real experts in what they do. Uh, they've been, you know, senior executives and so forth. And now, and some also from consulting, you know, well-established consulting firms, and they go off onto their own. And in many cases, they will get some business initially from the, you know, the companies that they worked at before or mm. through their own referrals and kind of their networks and all that. But inevitably what happens is at some point those referrals start to dry up and then start looking around going, well, where's the next business going to come from? And that's the realization. That's kind of the point where they go, okay, I guess I need to start running this business and, and really treating it like a business. So that would be, I just think, really, you know, one very important lesson that I've observed because when a consultant understands that and they truly embrace that, that to run a successful consulting business requires you to act as an entrepreneur, to act as a business owner, and you make that commitment, then the sky's the limit for you. Then you can truly have just unbelievable success. I was talking with a client earlier this morning who said to me, you know, I'm looking back over the last 12 months and I can't believe where my business is right now. Like I, I could have never dreamed that it could be at this place. Thank you for, for just pushing. And I think all of us are able and we have the ability to reach greater levels of potential within ourselves and within our businesses. And that's really why I wrote the book, The Elite Consulting Mind, is because what I've observed far too often, Nick, is that it's not the strategies or the tactics that create success for us. It's the mindset that we have. It's how we make decisions and what we do when you know, we, a question pops up in our mind. And so we can talk more about, you know, some of these specific mindsets, but how you act and how you, you know, really proceed on a daily basis is what is going to inevitably create great success for you, or mm. you'll end up feeling like you're struggling all the time. Yeah. And I do want to come on to the mindsets, like you say, I, I want to take us back to to that point you made. And, and it may, it may take us to the same place. So if it does, let me know is, you know, it's a really good point. I think you highlighted there that being a good consultant doesn't mean you will be a good consulting business owner or be able to run your own consultancy. And I'd be really interested on the things or areas that people either get wrong or underestimate when making that decision. So what is it that people either don't think about or discount when they go, right, I've got, I'm a great consultant in whatever a field it is I do, I can easily make the step into running my own consulting business. I mean, by far the biggest is not marketing, right? It's it's like the restaurant that opens the doors, has great food, but no one comes because, you know, the, the restaurateur thinks we have great food and, you know, we have, we have a pretty good location, but they but they don't market, right? They don't get mm. the word out there or they don't invite the right people on opening night. They don't build buzz around it. That's running a business. So the same thing for a consultant. You can have real expertise, but the mistake that so many make is that they say, okay, I'm going to go out on my own and then they just end up staring at their computer screen and they're wondering, well, you know, what happens next? Oh, maybe I should go and, you know, create a website. So they spend time doing that. Maybe I should get business cards. Okay. They do that. Oh, I have to think about the structure for my, my company. I should do that. Oh, I don't like that color of my logo. Um, I'm going to change it. Uh, you know, oh, you know what? I have to put together a presentation deck for my services. Okay. I'm going to spend some time on that. So they're doing all of these things. They're doing what I call building, mm. right? Building things is easy. It's comfortable. It fools us into believing that we're actually making progress and being productive. But the reality is that we're not moving our business forward. 
And so the line in the sand is going from just building to actually getting out of the building. And when I say that, I don't, I'm not actually referring to physically getting out of a building because these Mm. days, you know, we have clients all around the world, some we've never even met before. You can do a lot from, you know, an office or home office or wherever it is that, that you work, but it's important that you get out and connect with people who you believe to be ideal clients. And you have conversations with those who can also refer you to those ideal clients. That is uncomfortable for a lot of people. A lot of people feel that they should you know, not need to reach out to others. Mm-hmm. Some people feel that uh, they don't want to be too salesy. And so they hold off reaching out and trying to create conversations. And others hope that technology will somehow provide them with leads and inquiries with the push of a button. And so they spend a lot of time trying to figure out the latest trends in technology and media with the hope that they will go to sleep and wake up with an inbox full of opportunities. So, you know, there's many other challenges that we all face as consultants, but by far the biggest is what I would probably refer to, you know, if we kind of label it as the the idea of imperfect action. And I talk a lot about this with our clients because I think as consultants, you know, many of us try to be perfectionists. We want to get things mm-hmm. just right because we've been, you know, drilled uh, or told in from the corporate world or from the consulting firm that things need to be, you know, perfect. Like it needs to be just right. You can't miss that, you know, that green line in the table or the chart. But if you apply that same mindset to a business, you will struggle because you won't end up actually taking the action that is required to build your business. And so my mantra and what I share just from observation of what I have found to work is imperfect action. It's about taking action. Things don't need to be perfect. They just need to be good enough. And as you take more action, you learn more about what the market actually wants. You learn more about the messaging that resonates. You learn more about the price points. You learn more about you know what product or service is going to sell and which won't. You learn the things that actually matter. And these are Mm. things that you cannot learn from just doing research online or updating your website or writing an article. All these things can be important and they have their place, but they do not replace in any way the importance of having conversations with real people. Yeah. And I think that is a very true point in our industry. And it's one that I've had to work quite hard at getting myself out of, like you say, I think you, we all start our careers in consulting, very focused on perfect. And I think in, in some places, clients buy perfect, but actually it can hold you back, like you say. And if you're spending more time deciding the color of your logo and not speaking to people, you're, you're not necessarily doing the most effective thing. I do want to come on to the, the marketing piece because you've obviously got a lot of expertise there and Brits in general don't like it. It's a huge generalization, but we're not very good with sales, selling ourselves and marketing. So it'd be great to delve into that. But to that point of building versus going out into the real world, actually, for anyone who is listening, who, who maybe is you know starting their own consulting business, they're building, like, you, like you're talking about, the ideal client, they're understanding what to sell them or what, what products the ideal client wants to buy. Actually, how polished or how much needs to be built before you tell your clients to actually go out and speak to people? You know, Do you say you need a website and a, an intro pack or do you go, right, go and speak to people and then build later? Just just to give you a, a dichotomy there, but I'll let you take, you know, tell us what you do with your clients. Yeah, I mean, so really the latter, right? Get, just getting out there and having conversations, the sooner that you can do that, the better. And here's why. 
you could spend a great deal of time preparing that, you know, that welcome pack or intro pack, as you mentioned. But if you do that only based on what you know, then Mm -hmm. you run the risk and probably a high probability risk that the way that you are conveying what you hope the market wants is not what the market actually wants. And so now you've wasted time, you know, creating materials that people won't resonate with. So I'm not saying that you don't need anything. I think it's important to have, you know, like one of the things we help our clients with is really dialing in their LinkedIn profile. And if Mm -hmm. they have a website looking at how do you make some quick updates to that website with the messaging so that you have a a better chance of resonating with your ideal client. I mean, the, the process that we take people through Nick is number one, getting very clear around who your ideal client is. We call this the ideal client discovery process. And that helps people to narrow in. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the 100% definite forever ideal client, but they have at least a, a target now in mind, right? Without mm-hmm. that, then they could be aiming all over the place and, and just being very inefficient, wasting a lot of time and resources. So first you get clear on who your ideal client is. Once you do that, then the next thing is developing what we call a magnetic message, a message that will get the attention and interest of your ideal clients that will resonate with them. And the key to doing this is to be very, very specific because we're all surrounded by so much generality, so much you know, hype and noise and promises and advertisements that the average person, and especially the, the buyer of consulting services, doesn't pay attention to generalities anymore. You need to be specific. And in order to be specific, you, number one, must know who your ideal client really is. And number two, you must have a, a sense of what they actually care about. And number three, you have to, you know, hopefully be able to talk about how you are better positioned than other people to help them to get there, right? You know, what is your advantage? Why should they choose you? And so the second step is in developing that magnetic message, which again, will not be 100%. Like the chances of using a, an American kind of baseball metaphor, right? Like hitting a home run and hitting out of the park uh, at your first time at the, at the plate and at bat is very, very low, but you're going to have a much better chance to hit a single or a double, or maybe even a triple if you at least get up to swing the bat. But if you're waiting to try and get all that stuff ready first without actually getting up there, you're, there's no way that you're going to have any opportunity to, to get any kind of hit because you're not at the plate. So what we help people to do is to get clear on number one, who your ideal client is number two, developing that magnetic message. And then finding because now who you know who your ideal client is you can we can then figure out what is the best path to get in front of them and how do you start to get on their radar because really that is the problem that all of us as consultants face when you're getting started or at the early stages is just getting on the radar you already have the expertise you don't need help with your expertise what you need help with is getting on the radar of your ideal client so they know that you exist and doing it in a way that gets their attention that resonates with them, that aligns with what they care about and what they're thinking about. So they say, yes, I'm interested. You know, tell me like, tell me more about that. Or, you know what, that's really interesting that you just mentioned that because that's exactly what we're going through right now. How have you handled that? You know, what did you do? What might you suggest? I'd love to, to have a coffee with you or, or a quick chat to learn more. Yes. Yeah, so, and really appreciate that breakdown. I think the the thing that struck me there as well is we obviously were talking about people who were launching their own firms, but I think frankly for anyone, whether you're in a practice, in a big consulting firm, and you're either running or working in a practice or you're starting out on your own, actually, if you you follow that approach, you get a really clear view on who you're trying to sell to, why you're different, and then, to your point, actually, how do you get in front of them, which is the sales cycle that everyone needs to go through. 100%. It's very true, Nick. Yeah, this is not only just for independent consultants or those running their own firms. You can apply this same process to 
you know, being an employee or being a managing director or, or something in a firm as well. Yeah, no, brilliant, Michael. And I did say we'd come on to it. And I think it flows quite nicely from what you were saying around actually how you get in front of them. And that is actually how consultants can effectively market because there's two things here and I'll sort of say them to preface and you can tell me if it's just Britain or if it's across the board. But Brits are quite reserved and we don't like selling or we don't like self-promotion. I think particularly the Americans are much better at it than us. I'm sure same as the Canadians. The other side is that in our industry, in the management consulting industry, a lot of people still market like it's the early 2000s in that people will put out a 50-page thought leadership piece once a year. And that is the sort of, that is the hook to catch the fish. And that's what they do. I'd be really interested in actually how you advise your clients to get in front of the people they want to talk to, to potentially sell that business. Yeah. So it's a really great question. And I certainly understand what you're saying. We have many clients based in the UK. And so there's certain cultural nuances and differences, right? Around the world, we've we've worked with clients and you know, in Africa and Asia and just different places where culture certainly does play a role. The approach overall in terms of the process that you go through will be the same, but mm. the steps that you take will be a little bit different. And what's important, I think, for people to understand that there is no one way to do something. Like, you know, you go online, you're on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, and someone's saying like, this is the best model, the only way that you can do this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then of course, it's them selling like the one, you know, the, the Facebook ads, you know, Facebook ads is the best thing. Well, it's someone selling a Facebook ads course, right? Trying to tell you that. Um, I don't believe in that at all. I think there's many different mm-hmm. ways to to reach the, your destination. The question is, which is the best one for you and which is the one that's going to work best for the market that you're going to, to enter. So as an example, let's just go through a few different paths that people can take. One would be LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn for many is a great place to identify, right? To search and find uh, ideal clients with high, high levels of precision, and then to start connecting with them and building relationships with them. So many of our clients use this process where they're able to go from very few connections to you know hundreds or thousands of connections in a very targeted manner. And done properly, you can start to actually build relationships, which leads to phone calls and in-person meetings. So that's a great you know, avenue for, for some to take. Another is low hanging fruit around your own network. So what a lot of people do is they just sit back and wait to receive introductions or referrals, but you can actually be much more active and proactive by going out and having conversations with people in your, you know, in your network to learn more about what they're doing, but also to ensure that they know what you're doing and then to simply ask like, who else can I talk to? We just, we had a, a client call with a group of our, our clients yesterday and uh, one client by the name of Kevin was sharing that, you know, he was kind of spending a lot of time doing things online, but what he realized is that just actually picking up the phone and setting up, you know, conversations with people in his network was far more effective for him. And in fact, he set up eight meetings that are going to happen over the next couple of weeks just by doing that. And he got what he did is, you know, he said to uh, three people that he knows, hey, I'd love to chat with you to just share kind of like what I'm working on to get your input on, on my messaging and the marketplace and so forth. He jumped on a call with them. They talked through it. They gave, gave him feedback and they said, okay, based on this, who do you think I should talk with? And they said, oh, you got to talk with 
you know, with Jim and with Susan, with Roger and, and so forth. So now he has introductions and he has meetings set up with those people. Uh, and so that's a, a really great opportunity to, to go after low hanging fruit. Another is associations, right? There's a lot of great associations. When I say associations, I'm not saying just go to, to like a consulting association because then you're going to be surrounded with other consultants. Instead, let's say that you are serving the manufacturing industry. Well, find out where the professional groups or the associations are for manufacturers and embed yourself there. You know, find out how you can add value. Just network, ask questions, and also look for opportunities to speak or do webinars or write articles. These are also things that can be great if you can find a publication that your ideal clients read and then you start to appear in that publication, that can be very, very powerful. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's many others and I'm not sure how much time you want to spend on this, Nick, but I think the most important thing for people to consider when they're, you know, kind of thinking about their marketing is where can I get in front of my ideal clients in the most efficient and effective way? Like what is the most direct path to doing that? You know, when we talk about marketing, there's short term and there's long term, right? There's there's what we call direct outreach and mm-hmm. there's authority building. Authority building is, you know, doing a podcast. <laughs> it's writing articles, right? It's putting out videos. These are all things that can have a really great impact on your business, position you as an authority. In many cases, it can be evergreen and can generate inquiries and leads for you for years to come, but they typically don't produce results very quickly. And so if you already have a lot of business or a lot of leads and inquiries coming in, authority strategies are great strategies for you to use because you don't need business tomorrow. But if you're in the early stages, then it's really important that you not only do authority, that you have a higher percentage of direct outreach, which would be like LinkedIn or, or setting up meetings or going to events, because you need to get directly in front of IDEO clients. You can't wait for three months for someone to say yes to you speaking at their event, like do that, but don't Mm. only do that. And so the direct outreach approach is really important for people to start building a pipeline, which they then can nurture and add value to over time. Yeah, I know really, really useful insights there. And and actually that point around the direct outreach versus authority building, because I found the power of LinkedIn this year from my podcast. And like you say, it's a fantastic tool, both for sharing your content and the authority building side, but also the, the direct outreach, like you say. I'm sure this is a challenge you've maybe had from your clients and I'd be interested in the answer in that I see and I speak to a number of partners who run consulting firms who do, let's call it a lot of direct outreach, but a lot less of the examples of authority building you just gave. So I probably know two consultants in the UK who have podcasts. I know very few who do consistent blogs, barely any who do videos. And almost the answer you sometimes get is, well, I don't need to because the direct outreach is so seems to be working. For you, is it a case that there's a maturity scale and one should step up or step on to the authority building if you want to continue to grow? Or is it that if direct outreach is working, keep going and just keep doing what you're doing because like you say, you're finding the most effective method for you. Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I'm a very big fan of people doing what's actually working. Mm. So I always say to clients, like, you know, just another example was talking with a client a couple of days ago and she said, hey, you know, should I start doing this LinkedIn outreach thing? And I said, well, did you finish sending those emails to those ideal clients that you haven't yet sent to, but you, you know, the same emails that when you sent to another hundred people in the past generate a lot of business for you. Have you finished doing that? And she said, no, not yet. I said, well, do that first, mm. right? Because 
I think it's easy to always try and find like the next thing that could be better for you or could be more helpful or you read an article or you hear about this latest and best or this, you know, kind of on trend technique. But if you have something that's working for you, keep doing what's working. If you see signs of it not working as well, then look at what can you change. But in terms of your question specifically around like the direct outreach versus the authority building, you know, here's what I would say to that is authority building takes time. Mm. And if you believe that it would be a good strategic decision to do more authority or to have, let's say more articles or more podcast episodes or more videos or whatever it might be to get you on more speaking stages. If that's something that you feel would actually be beneficial for your business, you know, how do you figure that out? Well, go and talk to other people that are doing it, you know, like look at some research. There's ways to figure out and to see, is it working for, you know, for others and would it likely work for you? Now back to the question, if it really would work for you, then what's important to recognize is that it won't work for you overnight. Mm. And so if you, you know, wake up one day in six months from now and say, okay, I'm now ready to start doing authority building. You can't just start benefiting from that right away. It might take another six to 12 months. So my recommendation and suggestion to people would be continue doing what is working for you and spend the majority of your time doing what is working for you, but start to add in, start to diversify with another channel or with you know, an authority building tactic, the one that's going to work best for you and for the market that you're going to serve. And so it might take still longer for you to get that authority building you know, impact or kind of results, but at least you're diversifying and you're starting to add that layer. Now, especially for people who, the examples that you mentioned, Nick, of those that aren't doing articles or videos or, or content, they need to do a little audit of that and, and ask themselves, is there, is there a real opportunity for this? Like if I put out a video or if I put out an article, would my ideal clients consume that? And if the mm. answer is yes, they might be sitting on a gold mine of opportunity because you know they'd be doing something that no one else in, in their specific industry is doing. And so that could be a real great place for them to to spend some time. Yeah, no, really thorough viewpoint there. And actually, it comes back to what you were saying. And I think this is the theme throughout our conversation of actually, at the end of the day, it's what does your ideal client want? And that's both in terms of what are they looking for in the services they want to buy, but also the, the people they want to buy from. And I think, like you said, if no one's doing podcasts, and actually your ideal client, and just picking podcasts, because we're doing one now, but your ideal client is moving that way and listens to a lot of them, maybe that's a gap you could fill for them. Yeah. But if you have a method to your marketing that is already working, don't stop doing that and just jump to creating podcasts because it sounds like it's something cool to do. Keep doing what, what's working for you, but start to add in a little bit more. You know, so mm-hmm. maybe you spend, instead of doing 100% of your time on, on the emails of the direct outreach, maybe spend 80% of your time on that and 20% of your time on authority building and start to see, you know, how is that working? Like you should always be, testing and thinking of of new ways to innovate because if you don't then you're just the same as everyone else yeah no completely and i want to turn to it's actually a point you made back in your introduction and i I did i did promise we'll pick up on it and it's something i'd call it a mid-year's resolution that i i make sure that i pick up on everything i say i promise to because i always hate it in other people's podcasts when they don't and i've been guilty of it in the past is actually the point you mentioned around helping businesses grow by six and seven figures so substantial growth through through working with yourself and your business partner and that for the consulting industry is 
you're you're into a business then to you know to the we had a conversation about people who are going out on their own and maybe one two three of them when you're into six and seven figures you're starting to grow a, a business around you some consultants under you in a practice area almost you, you might call it what are the biggest things that you see have prevented the people who come to you from achieving that growth that when they're removed enable them to grow by seven figures in a year so commitment and consistency would be two very big ones what i mean by that is quite often people have good intentions they want to to achieve a certain outcome but when push comes to shove they're not actually putting in the work and let's get more specific right um if someone knows that they need to have four conversations per week with ideal clients to achieve their revenue target of let's just say 1.5 million. Well, in order to do that, that's the number. They need to do four consistently each and every week. Are they committed to it? Well, if they're not committed to it, when you know Aunt Ruthie calls and says, Hey, can you, you know, come and help me with this? They're gonna say yes to that. And their outreach will, you know, will be neglected. When a friend says, Hey, can you meet me at the pub? They're gonna say yes to that and they're not gonna get it in. When they're sitting at their computer and they see saying on LinkedIn, they're going to read more, you know, read that article and then read the next one and then read the next one. And then they're going to play with their website and they're going to update some materials. And they're going to think, well, actually what I have is probably not sufficient. So I should spend more time on that first before doing those things. So that's the difference. That's, that's, you know, you're interested in the result that you have stated, but you're not really truly committed to it. And what I see, you know, we just actually wrapped up. I just was in, in Toronto and Chicago last week. We had clients flying from around the world. We were, we were sitting uh, in this hotel talking, but actually one of the topics was for those who have grown to, you know, those levels of business, what do you feel is the most important step that you've taken? What has really, you know, moved you or allowed you to, to, to get there? Like, you know, pretty much your question here, Nick. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest themes that, consistently came up is continuing to do follow-up and nurturing the pipeline. And that can't be done if you're not truly committed to it. And it can't be done if you're not consistent with it, right? Over a period of time. And so what I would say is the biggest difference between those that succeed and those that struggle is the commitment to do the right things consistently. Even when there's other things that you could be doing, you need to do the ones that are actually the highest priority, the greatest value, the ones, you know, that's like the 80-20, the ones that are going to have the greatest impact for you. And I think I have it from the answer you've given, but I, I want to clarify to make sure that I've, I've not got it wrong. But that point around value is to that eight, so the eight, that 80-20 point, how do you ascertain what it is that's value? How do you make sure that you are doing the urgent and important and not just the urgent, let's say? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I actually believe that many people know the answer to that instinctually, but they don't act on it because typically the highest value activities are the ones that cause you to face your fears or, you know, make you feel uncomfortable or put you out into the zone of the unknown. But those who are successful, those who are able to achieve great growth in their businesses recognize that they need to do things they haven't done before. They must face their fears. They must, you know, kind of go beyond the the harbor of, you know, the safe harbor of the known into the unknown. And then 
when they do that, they get results that they haven't gotten before. They get feedback from the market and that allows them to then optimize and to adjust and to refine, which now allows them to get you know better and better and better. But those who are afraid or uncomfortable to take those steps can't get that feedback and hence can't actually improve. And then because of that, aren't able to actually achieve uh, improvement and growth in the direction that they want to go. Yeah, no, a really good point. I, I'd not thought about it like that, but I think having heard you say it, it's so true. Like you say, is it's very easy to put off those uncomfortable conversations. And I can't remember who it was who, who coined the phrase, but to eat that frog, I need to. Right, was it Harvey um, McKay or someone like that? Or? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to go look it up. I I know the phrase, but I'll dig it out and I'll put it in the show notes because I think it's a, I think like you've highlighted a really key concept. And I want to touch on actually another area that in my research came up around this that. I, I saw, I was like, I'm really interested to, to actually dig into that because you've talked there around what holds people back and it's the consistency and actually doing the right thing consistently at the right time. And another thing that I saw you'd highlighted or you've, you'd talked about on this point about holding people back is actually that technology can hold people back from growing their business. And I was really interested to dig into that because I think given the world at the moment and and where we are, technology seems to be the solution for everything. And there is, you know, to your point about the Facebook ads, there's a technology solution that can do everything, you know, can put your clothes on, make your tea in the morning, drive you to work. And actually, for someone to say technology could be holding your business back, just really struck me as some quite counterintuitive, and therefore really interesting to explore. So would you be able to, to dig into that and just share what you meant by that and why it's so key for people who are growing their consulting businesses. So Nick, there's this thing, you may remember it. It's not used very often anymore, but it's called the telephone. <laughs> and the telephone has, you know, it seems to be long forgotten. The preference these days that most people have is sending, you know, text messages, instant messages, uh, emails, LinkedIn messages. And that is a really big mistake. Because people buy from, you know, like you have to have a conversation at some point. Picking up the phone is infinitely more effective than hiding behind email. And there's times for emails. I mean, emails can be very effective. A text message can also be very effective, but they don't replace a telephone. And so when I've made that statement about technology holding people back, really what I'm referring to is that it's very easy for people to look at and say, okay, you know, I should get this set up the CRM system. Mm. Now, once I you know spend a, a week or two trying to really get a CRM system integrated, then I'll add on this lead, you know, filtering system. And, and then when I do that, I'm going to send out these, you know, complex, uh, although they're supposed to be, you know, simple sequences that people will respond to. Consultants end up spending a lot of time creating and, uh, and developing and using and figuring out how to use technology with the hopes of someone on the other end responding to them. And all those things can, can be fine and they can all play, the, play a role and add value, but they, in most cases, hold you back or delay you getting in front of your ideal client. So if you have a more direct path, like going to an event where your ideal clients attend, do it. If you have an ability to, you know, send, let's say an email directly to someone instead of, you know, like adding them into all these complex systems, just do it. Uh, mm -hmm. If you can get their phone number, call them. Um, and I'm not saying making cold calls, there's ways to work around that where you're, you know, you first connect with them, you add some value, but then at some point, pick up the phone, 
And especially when you're nurturing people in your pipeline, a phone, the phone can be very powerful. And so that's really what I'm referring to that I, I see far too many people you know, hiding behind email and messages and just kind of delaying, trying to get everything just right and hoping that people will, will raise their hand, but they're, they're too afraid to actually pick up the phone or go to an event and take a more direct path that doesn't require technology. Yeah. And, and I think it comes back to, well, to both of your points around the building and to that point around the, the consistency and, and, and doing the right thing. And technology has given us another million and one excuses not to do something because like, like you've highlighted, there's always a, another system or sequence you could set up or a new article you could read. And, and I'm sure we've all been guilty of that sort of reading articles in the name of research and two hours later we've not not got any further forward so yeah no really really good point and I having read it I wanted to I wanted to dig in and yeah it's good to uh, good to understand it and hopefully more people having listened to that will, will pick up the phone because like you say I think we spend too long on email and I not just consultants but I'm sure sure you've seen it when you've been working with clients directly the the amount of people who've never met when they work one floor away from each other always uh, shocks and baffles me exactly <laughs> so Michael, this has been a really, really great conversation. And there is a, I do have a last couple of questions that I ask all my guests, and I'll be really interested to, to get your take. Uh, but it'd be really good for my listeners just to understand what you're doing now. I understand you've, you've got a new book out. It'd be great just to, to find out a bit more about that and where people can, can find out more about your, your courses and your consulting if, if they're interested. Sure, my pleasure. So yeah, the, the book that you referenced is called The Elite Consulting Mind. And that really explores the, the habits of successful consultants and the, the mindsets that uh, allow people to realize their true potential. Uh, that can be found on, on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. The most recent book that just came out is actually called Consulting Success. And it's really a guide to help people start, run, and grow a successful consulting business. That's also on Amazon, both available in, in Kindle and paperback. Uh, but we have a lot of resources uh, at consultingsuccess.com. We have a podcast called the Consulting Success Podcast where we interview other successful consultants. And we have plenty of videos and templates and articles and studies and best practices around marketing and fees and how to run and grow and scale a consulting business. So anyone who is either looking at becoming a consultant or already has a consulting business and wants to, to take their business to the next level will likely find some resource on our website that would help them. I spend most of my time, Nick, you know, in addition to, to writing and interviewing people on, on our podcast and, you know, doing things like this as well is I spend like in, in our coaching program. So we run a couple of coaching programs for consultants where we really help them to go through this process of getting clear on their ideal client developing their magnetic message, helping them to update their, their materials, working with them to really take all of their, their skills and experience and expertise and then figure out how to package it and position it and place value on it uh, and price it in a way that will resonate with their ideal clients. And then on the marketing side of really getting what we call a marketing engine in place so that you're able to build a pipeline of qualified prospective clients and do it in a way that doesn't have to take you, you know, all of your, your time. So really creating a lot more efficiency. And so also then you don't need to rely only on referrals in your network anymore. So all of that you know, is, is available in terms of information. You can find it all on consultingsuccess.com. Brilliant, Michael. Well, thank you for that. And I will put links to Consulting Success, your website, 
your podcast and the books you've mentioned in the show notes. So if anyone listening to this right now, they can just open the podcast app on their phone or uh, on the web and they'll get all of those links as well. So I make sure they're all in there. Yeah. And Nick, actually, just one other thing as you're mentioning that, that my, I know you mentioned there's some people maybe listening who are newer to consulting. We actually just came up with a guide recently all about how to start a consulting business, even if you don't have any experience you know, working in that area. So I'm, mm. I'm happy to send that over or, you know, give you a link. So if you want to share that with people, they'll, they'll know how to kind of get a good primer on that. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, send it. Why don't you do words, Michael? Send it over, send me the link and whichever's easiest, uh, when I get to the technical side, whichever's easiest to go in the show notes, I will, I will make sure it's there. Fantastic. And so last two questions, and there may have been a bit of a uh, an intro in that last one, but I'll, I'll let you answer this how you like. So the first question is books. So I'm a big reader. You've obviously written a number of books. I, I get the feeling you read a lot around the subject as well. The first question is, what are the book or books that you found yourself gifting or recommending most to people? Okay, great question. So yeah, two that I'll mention. Uh, one is called Straight Line Leadership by Dusan Jukic. A uh, great book. It's not about leadership in of a team. It's more about leadership of self. Fantastic, highly recommended, and something that certainly share with all of our clients. The other is written by Richard Koch, and it's called Living the 80-20 Way, which mm-hmm. I think is a really great book that applies not only to business, but also to life. I've read 80-20. Is that the... So Richard Koch has written multiple books based on 80-20. There's like, you know, the 80-20 principle, there's the 80-20 manager, there's there's a whole bunch of them. But the one I'm referring to specifically is called Living the 80-20 Way. And it looks at from, you know, both business and personal, how to really optimize the way that you live. And I think it's it's very powerful. Brilliant. I love it when I get recommendations that either no other guest has suggested or I've, I've not come across myself. And these books both tick those boxes. So they're going on the reading list and I'm looking forward to reading them myself. The um, I, Knowing the 80-20 principle, which is the one I read, I, I think the applications for life will be interesting because I know that in the principle book, it takes a little while to get there. Straight line leadership sounds fantastic. Well, leadership of self seems like a great concept that I, I wish we had time to dig into, but I feel like I should read the book and it'll, it'll tell me everything I need. And then the, so the last question, Michael, and I'll ask it as I ask everyone. I've had a run of guests where I've, I've asked a bonus question on it, but I think let's, yeah, let's ask a, we'll ask a bonus question. This question's slowly growing with every guest I get. So it's three people and I'm going to ask a, a fourth for you, but you can tell me if that's redundant because we cover it in the first three. And this is, you have three people in front of you and you're, you can give one piece of advice to each of them. The first person is someone who's just starting out in their consulting career. So they'd be fresh out of university here, college, as you'd know it, just about to start in a consulting career. The, the second person is someone who is in a consulting business, say, four to five years in. So they're sort of mid to late 20s now. The third is, and I am going to give you a bonus one. The third is someone who is approaching partnership. So they're approaching that point where they will take an equity position in a firm. And the final one, given all of the conversations we've had, would be someone who who's decided to go out on their own and start their own consulting business. And the question is quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each of them? All right. So the first you said is someone who has recently graduated from university. Yeah. And, and you want this to be in the context of 
them becoming successful consultants or just in life in general? Oh, take it how you wish. I think I'll let you, I'll let you decide the more interesting answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think, yeah, for, you know, when I went back to my university as part of kind of an alumni panel, what I shared with, with people is that I think it's really important, you know, when you're young, you have a lot of pressure from society and family and, and friends and those just around you to, to follow a specific path, that there is a right path to follow. I don't believe that there is. My observation and experience is that, you know, even if you have a late start in one area, whether it's academics or, or sports, or whatever it might be, you can always make up for it. You can always, you know, accelerate past even where others are. So I would say, you know, allow yourself the freedom to, to explore, to follow your, your true kind of desires and passion, even if it's not the typical path that others are recommending for you. I mean, this is one of the beautiful things about life. If we're privileged to just have choice, then that's something that, that we shouldn't give up just because society or someone in our family thinks we should go, you know, about it a certain way. That being said, I'm not recommending or suggesting that people just go and party and, you know, and go wild. But I do think that if you really are interested in something that you should allow yourself to explore it because you're never going to get the time that you have back. So, so enjoy it. Second one you said was someone now who's maybe four to five years into working as a consultant. Yeah. I would say really start to, to work to master your craft. And what I mean by that is rather than just being a generalist, this is a great time. If you can start to really figure out what you want to accomplish and what you want to be known for, you'll still be way ahead of most people. Most people don't get there at that stage. They're, just, they're still following society's kind of you know, path or, or what they've been told to do. And so if you, at that stage, you know, if you're in your early 20s and you have a sense of really what you want to accomplish, you can become a true master. You can become, you know, unless it's athletics, it might be a little bit hard in, in certain in certain fields to to compete because our bodies change quite quickly. But in you know in the business world, you know, pick an area of consulting, pick a, a specialization that you truly enjoy, even if it doesn't seem like it's the most profitable right away, or even if it's something that your firm doesn't do. You know, study it on the side because generalists are are not as desirable as specialists. And I think that'll continue to be true, you know, well into the future. And so if you really focus on area of, of speciality and become a master at that, I think you'll have uh, plenty of opportunities in the future. Now, your third is someone who is, you know, becoming, looking to become partner in a consulting firm my advice to them, I mean, there's so many different things here. And obviously without knowing someone's situation, giving, giving advice, I feel like a doctor who is giving a prescription to, to a patient without asking them what's wrong. It's, it's very hard to, to prescribe. And, you know, in many places you would get sued for malpractice if you did that, but I'm going to roll with, with the punches here, Nick, and kind of go with, with the flow. And, and what I would say, you know, what first comes to mind to me for someone at that stage in their life is, just to ask the question of, you know, really what is most meaningful for you in life? Because I think far too often people who are successful spend too much time working or doing things that, that aren't really what they want to be doing. You know, they neglect their family, they neglect their children, they neglect their health. And these are things that we, we can't get back. You know, you can always make more money. Money, there's plenty of money. And the reality is, that when you die, you can't take that money with you. 
You'll never hear someone on their deathbed say, oh, I wish I made more money. They never say that. They say, mm -hmm. I wish I spent more time with my children. I wish I spent more time, you know, teaching and sharing and, and helping others. Or I wish that I didn't hold back doing something that I really wanted to do, but I didn't do it because someone said that I shouldn't or couldn't do it. These are the things that we regret. And what I try and practice in my life, and I'm certainly not a master at it, and I think it'll take me many more years to, to get to where I want to be at it. But what I've observed to be of great benefit is to try and live without regrets. And I do that by putting my family first and trying to spend plenty of time you know, with my daughter and, and making sure that when I'm making a decision of where I'm going to go or what am I going to do or how am I going to spend my time, it's, it's filtered through my criteria for what a meaningful life is and, and what is important to me. So that would be what I would say to that person. Now, the fourth person you mentioned is the independent consultant running their own firm. Or someone looking to go out on their own. So someone who's either, let's, let's say they've, they've decided to. So we've, we've talked a bit before about what helped people. But yeah, they've decided they're going out on their own. So yeah, this will be a little bit of repetition. But the first thing that they should do is make a list of who their ideal clients are, or at least they believe to be, as well as a list of potential re uh, referral sources and industry influencers and set up meetings with those people. Be relentless do whatever you need to do to, to have those conversations because those conversations will be far more valuable than anything you will read in a book and anything that you can do by yourself at your computer. Brilliant. Well, Michael, really, really good advice and I think a really nice place to, to close off for today. Really enjoyed our conversation. It been great to, to catch up, hear more about you, get your advice for my listeners. And I know from just the conversations I've had, and I'm sure there's lots more people who haven't reached out to me, how useful it's going to be. You've already shared how people can find out about consulting success and the books we've spoken about and dug into a little bit today. If people want to connect with you, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, consultingsuccess.com is is one way. The other would just simply to be LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find me there. Type in Michael Zapersky. You'll find me. Send me a connection request. Um, and please do let me know that you heard about me or, you know, through this podcast. That'll give me a little mm -hmm. bit of context to, to who you are. I get inundated with a lot of requests and it's always nice to know uh, where people are coming from or, or, or kind of why they want to connect. But I'd be more than happy to connect and help in any way that I can. Brilliant, Michael. Well, I will also put your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can just find it there if it makes it easier for them. And all that's left to say is, is thank you very much and all the best for the rest of your week. Nick, thank you. been a real pleasure. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Michael. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.